Ten minutes, Wendy. Ten minutes. Wendy, I need you to answer me, please. How much time do I have? Well, you had ten minutes. Now you've only got nine. I'll be ready. Oh, Mimo, 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 Mimo. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yo. Shooby doo wop wop wop. Shunabada hunda. Whoa. Unique New York, unique New York, unique New York. Love is a feeling you feel when you're feeling the feeling you've never felt before. Love is a feeling you feel when you're feeling the feeling you've never felt before. Why, Willie, why, Willie, why do you cry? Why, Willie, why, Willie, why, Willie, why? Why, Wendy, why, Wendy, why do you cry? Why, Wendy? Why, Wendy? Why, Wendy? Why? Yes, you, Wendy, you. You can do this. You know your lines. You can run them in your sleep. You don't believe me, do you? Well, watch this. My life, well, to be honest, it's been a little hectic. When you have kids, what do you expect? God knows what he's doing. We celebrated Crystal's 13th birthday. She had the nerve to be born on October 31st. Don't you think that's just the worst luck? Because <laughs> we don't even do Halloween at our house. <laughs> and she likes to celebrate with costumes and skeletons and blood red cake. <laughs> but I prayed my way through it. And then she asked me to wear this costume. I don't know where she got it, but it was this perky Katie Couric. And I said yes. And then this precious young man poured this goopy thing onto my new burper carpet. <laughs> he thought it would be a fun game to play on a Halloween birthday party. And then I grabbed him and I got him really close to my face. And I bet next time he sees Katie Kirk on the evening news, he'll be terrified. <laughs> oh, but I prayed my way through it. <laughs> and yes, I am fine. <laughs> I am blessed. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Yes, indeed. Wendy, are you ready yet? Oh, I'm coming. It's time. I'll be ready. I just need another minute. Look, Wendy, we've got to get going. We're going to be late. Okay, I just, don't rush me. We should take this. You know, it'd be really good to follow along while he preaches. All right. Okay. Do I look okay? You look fine. Finish up. Let's get going. Okay. Right, hurry up. Good morning. I'm fine. How are you? Wendy, oh, now. Good morning. How are you? How are the husband and kids? Oh, praise the Lord. Uh, Wendy, you might want your shoes. Oh. Many of us, just like what we saw in that uh, sketch, we pretend. We live behind a mask. We act like everything's great and good and fine when really it's not so great and good and fine. Somebody says, how you doing? And we have practiced maybe in the mirror. I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. When the truth is you're not doing great at all. Now, I understand some think, well, I want to be positive. 
I want to encourage people. I want to be a blessing in their lives. And they don't need to hear my sob story. And I don't want to be melodramatic. And I want to cause all this, you know, all this, this, this issue every time I meet somebody and they ask me how I'm doing. And so we just kind of gloss over it. We do the gospel glad hand. You know what that is? You grab the hand and you smile. Hey, everything's great. Peachy keen. Thanks for asking. And I, I understand that we want to be positive. I get that. But I want to push on that a little bit. I want to give you, a, a, I think, a biblical understanding of the better way to be, especially if you're a Christ follower. Well, I think it's true for all of us. I think we need to be truthful. I think we need to be truthful when we're asked the question how we're doing. When somebody says, what's going on in your life, we need to speak the truth. Now, what do I mean when I say truthful? The whole truth. And by that, listen very carefully to me before we even get into where I want to go today. I want you to understand this. The whole truth is this. Actually, how do I feel right now? I feel like I'm on the ground. I'm getting kicked by, you know, wild people, and I'm bleeding out here. I'm a mess. But I still know that God is in control of my life no matter what. See, the whole truth is we can say, I'm not doing so well. I'm hurting right now. I just had a horrible fight with my husband. Maybe you don't want to share that, but I just, I just had this really knockdown, drag out situation that has just taken it all out of me right now. But that's not all I know. I know that he is good. God is good all the time. Have you heard that phrase before? I've, I've got a friend who says that almost every moment of her day, it seems like that's coming out of her mouth. And I appreciate that. And the tr that is truth. God is good, but sometimes life is hard, and those are both true. Do you understand where I'm coming from? God is good. He's good, and he's good all the time, but sometimes life is hard. We're starting a new series today called Living Behind the Mask, and each week over these four weeks, I'm going to expose a mask, talk about how we really ought to live rather than be uh, putting up this facade, living behind an untruth. And today we're going to deal with living behind the mask of faith, living behind the mask of belief. And it's one I wanted to start with because I think this affects uh, millions, maybe hundreds of millions in our country and in the world. Too often, people pretend to be something they're not, and they act like they're something they're not. And I'm concerned that sometimes we act like we have faith, we act like we have belief in God, but we really don't. And things are not always the way they appear. I got some pictures I want to show you just to illustrate this. This first one, this woman opened a door. I have no idea why there's a wall behind the door. But it, the door looked like an access point to something else, but that's not what it was. Here's the next picture. This one here I took in my backyard just uh, on Wednesday. That is a birdhouse, and I kid you not, a squirrel made the hole that big, and a squirrel has taken over the birdhouse. We've named the squirrel Robin. Cute, huh? <laughs> and uh, every morning uh, we walk out, and my wife walks out to feed the birds. The squirrel eats all the food now, and that has now become a squirrel house. It looks like a birdhouse, but it's not really a birdhouse. It's now a squirrel house. Next picture. That is my 1999 Buick Century, and it is, yeah, it's a beaut, I'm telling you. Bought that car, and I felt, I, I couldn't pass it up because it was such a good deal. It was pretty clean and low miles. 1999 is actually in pretty good shape, and it's the one and only car I have, but I felt like when I was buying it, I was buying a pit mobile, just a little bit. A little bit of a tricked out car, but I want you to understand something. It looks like a convertible. Can't tell you how many times people have said, hey, it's a nice day, why don't you put the top down? And I go, because it's not a top, it's not a convertible, looks like it. But it's not really that at all. It's not what it appears. Why they built cars like that, I don't know. Things are not, not always the way they appear. And in our lives, that's true as well. And so I want to talk about faith today, belief, living behind the mask of belief. And really what I want to zero in on is what does true faith look like? As we walk through this series, and I want to identify the truth, because truth often brings light. It sheds light on the things that we don't 
uh, need to believe on the falsehoods in our life. And so what does real faith look like? A couple things I want to give you today. Here's the first one. Number one, you don't just believe in God. You have a personal relationship with God. You don't just believe in God. You have a personal relationship with God. Huge difference between real belief and false belief. Behind living, living behind a mask and living in the truth. Uh, the Bible says in James, it says that even the demons believe in God. Of course they do. That even the demons believe and it says they tremble because they don't have relationship with him. And my concern is there are millions and millions and millions who believe in God. In fact, a recent Gallup poll said there's 94% of Americans, just in our country, 94% of Americans believe in God or a higher power or a universal spirit. So I know it's kind of blended in there. But 94% believe there's somebody else besides us that has something to do with the universe and the world at large. But it doesn't take a very bright person to look around and figure out pretty quickly that 94% of the people truly don't believe in the God that we know, the God that the Bible presents to us. There's no way that they believe in that God. In fact, many would think when we, about God in, in ways that aren't even close to being accurate and that has very little relational component to it. You see, God wants us to be in relationship, in a personal relationship with him. Not just to know about him, but to live, to walk in an intimate, personal relationship with our maker. And many people, and here's my concern, many people know about God. Uh, the technical term, the term that's used in, in some circles would be cultural Christians. They believe in God, country, and apple pie, God bless them. And, and they're cultural Christians. And they, yeah, they believe in God. But they don't have any relationship with him at all. It's kind of like me saying, I, I, uh, I know and have a relationship with a guy named Jack Hayford. Now, many of you perhaps have no idea who Jack Hayford is. In some circles, he's actually rather famous. He's an author. He's a pastor. Uh, he's a, a well-known speaker. He's traveled around the world. And really, I mean, hundreds of thousands of people know who Jack Hayford is. And for me to say, I know Jack Hayford, is the way some people say, well, I know God. Now, I've listened to Jack speak many times. I was part of his church for three years. I've read most of Jack's, if not all of Jack's books. I've had breakfast with the guy at Denny's in Van Nuys. He and I sit across from the table with each other over scrambled eggs. I've spent time with Jack Hayford, but the truth is, I really don't know him intimately. I don't know him personally. I couldn't tell you what his favorite music is. I couldn't tell you what his favorite color is. I couldn't tell you what he likes, what he doesn't like. I, I really can't tell you much about the man in any intimate detail at all. I believe in Jack. I like Jack. I, I have been around Jack, but the truth is I don't know Jack. You knew that was coming, huh? I don't. Intimately, personally, I really don't have a relationship with a man. And what concerns me is I think that's the way it is for many people in our culture. They know about God. They've read his book a little bit. They've sung some songs. They know Amazing Grace. They've been to church for funerals and weddings and at least twice a year for Christmas and Easter. And they know about God. They know about him, but they don't have an intimate, personal relationship with him. And in fact... For them, it might even seem something somewhat unattainable, unnecessary, or if they get it, they feel uncomfortable with the concept. Knowing God, that seems a little too out there for them. And yet the Bible presents to us from beginning to end. Let me make this clear. From beginning to end, it paints a picture that God wants to be an intimate, personal relationship with you and with me. And his goal is not just for you to know about him, but for you to truly know him. Jesus said this in John 17, verse 3. 
and said, this is the way to have eternal life. Now, when Jesus says, this is how you get eternal life, how many of you think that's an important thing to pay attention to? Okay, most of you, that's good. This is the way to have eternal life, to know you. He's speaking to the Father, to know God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent. Jesus said, this is the way to eternal life. It's not about knowing about him. It's knowing God. The word know there does not just mean to know about him. It means to know intimately, to know personally, to know him in relationship with him. That's what Jesus said is the key to universal, uh, to, to eternal life. I've got a friend of mine I've known for actually a long time, a Cuban guy, grew up uh, Catholic, in fact, considered going into the priesthood at one point in his life. He and I worked together back in my 20s when I was in banking, and I love him. I love him dearly. And we have had many, many, many conversations about God. And one of the things that he never just seemed to quite get or understand was this concept of personal relationship. Now, if you grew up Catholic, and many of you have, uh, maybe you can relate to this. And, and uh, he said, you know what, Here's, I was baptized Catholic. I was confirmed Catholic. I have, you know, been to, to Mass. I, you know, I grew up until the time I was least uh, my late teens. I went to Mass all the time. I still go to Mass on Christmas and Easter. I go to confession every so often when I feel like I need it. it, it he says, I, you know, I'm, I'm, it's not like I'm a Buddhist. He said, I, I believe in God. And I told him what I'm telling you. It is not about ritual or religion. It is never about just doing all the right things. It's not about ritual or religion. It is always has been and always will be about personal relationship, intimate personal relationship with God. It's kind of like the difference between knowing about marriage and being married. I love when I sit down with a young couple on their way to getting married and do premarital counseling with them or talk to them about their ceremony. And they're so in love. And they can hardly wait. And it's just, and she looks at him and she doodles his name. And, and you know, they just, they've had nothing but bliss and joy and excitement and and, and I, I love, I take him through this little circle I do where, you know, it always starts romance, and then he goes through the valley of disillusionment, where truth becomes real. You know, he never picks up his clothes. I can't believe he never picks up his clothes. But then when you stick to it, there's joy, back to romance. This cycle, I, I paint the picture for him, and they always kind of nod and smile. They don't get it. And I know they don't get it. But what I know is that at some point down the road, month, a day, a year, it's going to dawn on them. Oh. That's what, he talked, that's what he meant by the valley of disillusionment. That's what he was talking about. They'll get it. It's like knowing about marriage and knowing marriage, being in marriage. It's kind of like knowing, uh, talking about friendship. Well, sure, I've, I've read books on friendship. I, I've watched great movies about friendship. But there's a lot, it's a lot different when you have a friend. You realize that there are some struggles and challenges in friendship. Or children. I love it when people are like, we're going to start having kids. We're so excited. I say, that's great. I love kids. Go for it. It's going to be awesome. And then I'm going, wait, boy, is your world going to just change? Your whole life is about to change. You have no idea how much your world's about to change with kids. It's awesome. It's great. I love it. But it's the difference between knowing about children and having children. God wants you to not just know about him, but he wants you to have relationship with him, to be in relationship with God. And relationship with him, let me just paint this picture. You think, well, how do I know? Well, here's a couple things I want you to think about to begin with. When you're in a relationship with someone, you know them. And I'm going to talk more about that in just a minute. But you know them. And you know about, more than just about them, but you know who they are. But when you're in a relationship with someone, it affects you. If I'm in a relationship with Tom, and Tom and I are, 
you know, friends, and we're going to hang out together. We're, I, I'm going to think about what does Tom want to do? What does Tom like to do? And because now it's not just about me. I'm thinking about someone else. I'm thinking about that relationship. When you're in a relationship with someone, it affects you. It affects the way you think. You start to think about that other person. When you're in a marriage, hopefully it's affected the way you think. You think about that other person. It affects your heart, what, how you feel. In a relationship, there is an emotional component to that. And certainly in our relationship with God, there's this feeling, there's this emotional component. And there are times I'm overwhelmed. That song we sang this morning that Joe and Aaron Richard wrote this last couple of weeks, amazing song. And I just wept when I heard it in Joe's office, and I wept today. There's this feeling. Oh, God, I am overwhelmed by your love for me, by your goodness to me, by your righteousness and holiness in me. It affects the way you feel. And then all of that affects the way you live. If you're in relationship with God, it's going to affect what you think, the way your mind works. It's going to affect your words. It's going to affect your heart, your attitude. It's going to affect your life, what you do, how you live. The Bible says, by your fruit, you'll know them. And what that means is I ought to be able to look at you and say, boy, and Carl and Jackie, I know they know God. I, I've seen Jesus in these two. I've watched him. I've seen the relationship they have, the love they have for God. I know that they love him because I can see it in their lives. And so relationship is the key. It's born out. It's reflected in our lives, our thoughts, our words, our actions. But let me also point out something real quick to you. They say, well, how do I get in a relationship? How do I begin that relationship? Okay, great. I know about God, but that whole relational thing, I don't think I've got that yet. How do I get there? Let me give you three R's. This is not in your notes. This is free. This is extra. Right here they are. First step is realization. There has to come a moment in your life where you realize, I need God. I am not okay. I need a Savior. It will not happen. You will not begin a relationship with God until you come to the point where you realize, oh boy, I, I am not as smart, as good, as together as I thought I was. I need a Savior. I need him. First step, realization. I need God. Second step, and this is an important one, you receive. You receive the gift that he has given to us that is a free gift to salvation. And they go, wait, how does that work? You realize you need it, and then you simply accept what he did for you, what God did for you by sending Jesus to die for you on the cross. It's, it's the gospel message 101. Jesus paid the price on the, the, hit the cross for you and for me. And what he did there paid the penalty in full. And so not for a second do I want to imply when I'm talking about relationship that it's about what you can do. Salvation is not spelled D-O. Salvation is spelled D-O-N-E, done. It's been done for you. It's been paid for you in full. Your part is to receive the gift. If I had 20 bucks in my wallet, and I don't, Kyle, so don't get excited. But if I had 20 bucks in my wallet, and I said, hey, Kyle, you want this 20 bucks? He could sit there and go, yeah, I really want that. Oh, man, $20. Think of what I could do with 20 bucks. It would be awesome. I could go to Burger King and just go crazy today. <laughs> but unless he takes the 20 bucks, unless he receives that, then he doesn't have it. It's not his. So there is this receiving part of this. Well, doesn't God love me? Yeah, he does. And he loves you no matter what. And he will love you no matter what. But he wants you to receive that free gift of salvation, to receive what he's done for you. And the last part, the last R, is we repent. And that goes back to that, it changes the way you think, the way you, your heart is, the way you act. That there is an, a component, that very important, the Bible says over and over, Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
there's this last part where we say, I'm going to choose now to follow him. I've been going my way, doing my thing, going on my own, doing what I thought was best. Now I'm going to turn and I'm going to follow him. And that's what repentance is. It's the turning. It's I'm going to give my heart, my life, and I'm going to follow him. Now, let me also insert very quickly, because I don't want anybody leaving here today doubting their salvation, doubting that they have a relationship. Well, man, I'm doing my best, but I sure mess up a lot. Welcome to the club. It's called the church. And we all, how many of you messed up this last week? Let me see your hands. Raise them high. Look around, guys. You didn't mess up? I can't believe it. Anyhow, we all do. We all mess up. And so it's not about perfection. If it was about do, remember, if it was about do, we'd all be in trouble. Because it's not what you do that keeps you in relationship either. It's been done for you. But you walk in this relationship. And when you stumble and you fall and you fail, he's right there. And you, you turn again. You repent again. I am, I am a professional repenter. You are looking at a professional repenter. who I just learned over and over and over and over again. God, here I am again. Thank you that you've forgiven me. I don't have to come, by the way, just, and I'll get into this another time. I don't have to come and say, oh, Jesus, please forgive me for that. He's already forgiven me. Past, present, and future sins. I know it messes with us. What I need to say is, thank you, God, that I am forgiven. Thank you, God, that I have experienced and know your mercy. Thank you, God, that it is alive and, and real and true in my life right here, right now. And so I choose, again, to repent, to turn and follow you. God wants you to be in relationship with him. I've spent a little bit more time on that than I'll spend on the next one. But it's so important that you understand it's intimate, personal relationship. And that's the call. That's what God's brought you to. All right. What does real faith look like? Number two, you don't just know God's name. You know his character and his nature. You don't just know his name, but you know his character and his nature. What you call someone reflects the nature of the relationship you have with them. It gives you insight, uh, and them insight into how deep your relationship is with them. Throw this out. If you typically, or if you have a friend who typically refers to God as the big guy in the sky, I don't think that reflects a real intimate personal relationship. Maybe they've got that, but again, that's, you know, that's not, or uh, what's the other one? The, the man upstairs. Yeah, I was praying to the man upstairs. What man upstairs? Where is he? Uh, you know, what are you talking about? It, what you call God has a lot to do with how you view God. Let me illustrate it this way. In your relationship with me, whatever that is and how shallow or deep or, or intimate or not that is, let me just illustrate for you. If you um, go to a doctor, I was at the doctor a couple weeks ago, and I was sitting in the, the lobby waiting for, uh, you know, the doc, and uh, the nurse opened the door, and she says, Mr. Bubna, Mr. Bubna, well, my name is Bubna, let's say it together, Bubna, it's Boob, okay, it's just is, just live with it. It's Boobna, and that's my name. And it's Boobas and Tube, not Bubba's and Tub. And, but when she opened the door and she said, Mr. Bubna, I knew that she does not know me, at least doesn't know me very well. And frankly, the procedure I was about to have, I was really glad about that, just on a side note. Wouldn't, oh, hi, Pastor Kurt. He said, ah. So, but that, she calls me Mr. Bubna. She doesn't know me. Um, Pastor Kurt, I mentioned that. Some of you, and I know you do it in honor, respect, and I appreciate that. I value that. That's not, I'm not dissing that at all. But the truth is, I prefer just to be called Kurt. And the reason for that is, I grew up in a church where everybody tended to put pastors on pedestals, and then they failed, and then they walked away from God. I'd much rather have you understand, I, I ain't got no pedestal to sit on. 
And I don't want to be there. I, I, I am a, a, a man just like you, trying to grow just like you, trying to love God just like you. And I'm just Kurt. That's good enough for me, and that's okay. And if you know that about me, you, you probably don't call me Pastor Kurt very often. My old friends from high school, and if you ever run into one of them or they show up or refer to me in some way that you haven't ever heard before, they would call me Boob. In fact, uh, I shortened my name, Boob, not Boob. Anyhow, they call me Boob, and um, my little brother's 11 months younger than me. They called him Little Boob, so I was Big Boob and Little Boob. <laughs> All through school, and, and for years, I still have, hey, Big Boob, how you doing, man? I'm good, thanks. So, um, my, my friends, and I have a few friends, and my mother, who calls me Curdy. Don't call me that. It makes me feel like I'm about seven years old, and I, you know. But I know why they do that. The friends who do that, it's kind of like the Polly, Joey, Billy, Bobby, Curdy, you know. I, I know they're, they're, they, have a, they probably have a very intimate relationship with me and have for a long time. What do you call God? When you think about him, how do you refer to God? Jesus, uh, excuse me, David said this in Psalm 9. Psalm 9, verse 10. Those who know your name trust in you. And David knew God. The Bible says he was a man after God's own heart. And David made this incredible statement, those who know your name, trust in you. I want to suggest to you again that David wasn't just saying those who know the word G-O-D, God, or Jehovah. He wasn't just saying those who can spell or pronounce the name. What he's saying is those who know the nature and the character of God, who know him, who know him, will trust in him. Some of you, and I hope many of you, I've already made the decision to call him Savior. You know him as Savior. And if you're here today and you've not yet begun your life as a Christ follower, that's the first name I want you to call Jesus. The first name I want you to call him is Savior. You're the one who redeemed. You saved me. Savior is a beautiful term. Some of you are in need of healing and your bodies are broken or your souls or hearts are broken. And what you need today is to know Jesus, the healer. And when you, when you think of him, when you call him by name, when you're in your most desperate moment of prayer, I hope the prayer, it's not, it's not just some, hey, a big guy in the sky uh, kind of needs some help here. No, I hope it's Savior, healer, healer, Jesus, I need you to come and heal my body. Some of you are going through financial struggle, and you're just on the edge, if not already over, in terms of trouble. And you need to know God, the provider. Some of you are, again, you, you, your hearts are aching and you need God, the comforter. And some of you need to know God, Father God, Abba, Father, Daddy God. I have a dear friend of mine from, boy, years and years ago. We've known each other for probably 30 years now. Her name's Eileen. And uh, Eileen always prays, Daddy God. She would start her prayer with, Daddy God, I'm just here today. And she would say, thank you, Daddy God, at the end. And i got to be honest with you. About the first ah, hundred times I heard it, it really irritated me. I, I, I thought, I don't know why. One hand, I thought it was a little presumptuous. Who do you think you are? Calling God Daddy. You know, just, what's up with that? And, and the other hand, I just thought it sounded a little disrespectful. I didn't get it. It's like, Daddy God, come on. This is God. But you know what I've learned? And what I've come to see now is I really have received that as a gift from her. Because you know how I pray to God in my most intimate times of prayer with him? I pray, Daddy God. <laughs> and for a guy who had a really lousy father, a human father who failed me a lot, to have a daddy. <laughs> wow. What do you call God? What do you know? 
about his character and his nature. How do you refer to him? He wants you to be an intimate personal relationship so that you would call on his name. The Bible says all those who call on his name will be saved. And it doesn't just mean saved as in I got my ticket to heaven, but brought whole. There'll be that word sozo, healing, wholeness to your life. I want all of you to know God intimately as David did. And I want to finish with uh, reading of Psalm 63. And it's one of my favorite psalms. I would encourage you this week to maybe jot it down or remember it. Psalm 63. And to read it on your own this week. Um, and it is one of my favorites. And David is in a horrible place when he writes this psalm. The, uh, the beginning of this, in my Bible, says a psalm of David when he was in the desert of Judah. We go, hey, he's in the desert, chilling, getting some sun, having a good time. Yep, not at all. He's in the desert running from Saul, who's trying to kill him. And he's on his own. He's, he's living a ragtag life of a, of, a, of a fugitive, and it's a miserable life. So he's in a hard place when he writes these words. But I want you to listen for the intimacy, the nature of his relationship with God. And I'll read this and I'll wrap this up. Psalm 63, verse 1. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body, everything in me, David says, longs for you. In a dry and weary land where there is no water, in a place that's pretty miserable, I long for you. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. He's remembering back. He says, there are times when I, I know God showed up here, and I know he showed up here, and I've seen him here. I've seen his power. I've seen his glory. And then he says this incredible statement in verse 3, because your life, your love, excuse me, is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. In your name, because I know your character, because I know your nation, because I know who you are, God, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Why is he thinking of God through the watches of the night? Because he's in a hard place. He's in a wake in the middle of the night. Been there, done that. And he's crying, God, I'm going to think of you in those dark moments, in those hard places. And then verse 7, because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. Because I know you, I'm going to snuggle up close to you, God. And he says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Do you hear the intimacy and the relationship? My soul clings to you, God. And I know that your right hand is going to hold me up. When I'm stumbling, you're going to wrap your arm around my waist or on my shoulders, and you're going to be right there every step along the way. That's an intimate, personal relationship. And that's what God wants for you. And that's what God wants for everyone. And so if you've lived behind the mask of belief, pretending like, you, yeah, I know about God. Yeah, I go through the motions. Yeah, I got a Bible somewhere in my house. I want to challenge you this morning to understand that for, for you, God wants it to be so much more and so much deeper. He wants you to trust and cling to him in relationship. I have one more thing I want to share with you today, and I'll, I'll be brief about this. But and the, along the line of uh, trusting in God and clinging to him and having his right and uphold us. Um, and this is completely separate from the message. You can put your notes away if you want, but let me just share my heart with you for a moment. I, uh, a couple weeks ago, went through a procedure. I mentioned that, and the reason for that is uh, about a year ago, I had a PSA test. That's uh, where they have they test men for prostate cancer, and it um, wasn't good. Took it again six months later. It, wasn't, it was getting worse. Took it recently, and, and it was worse. And so they did a biopsy, which, by the way, is not a very pleasant experience at all. And I had a biopsy of my prostate. And I do indeed have prostate cancer. 
Now, I want to quickly say the prognosis is good. I'm in good health. Uh, It looks like they've caught this thing early. And though it's a struggle, and I've wrestled through some of this, as you can imagine, no facade here, um, I know God is good. And I do know that he's going to hold me up through this entire process. And uh, my biggest concern right now is just the process. I hate hospitals. If you know me, I hate hospitals. And I hate the whole thing of being down and out for a while. And, and, uh, I, and I want you to know, I'm praying. I am praying for supernatural healing or extranatural healing. I'm praying that God just, you know, supernaturally touches his body. And I've seen him heal people of cancer. I have a friend who was healed of breast cancer completely. So I'm all up for that, God. I'm a candidate for healing. Supernatural, pray for that. But if that is not what he chooses, or that's not what happens in extra natural healing, through the medicine and the skill and the gift of, of medicine and doctors, uh, pray for my, my wholeness and my healing. I have surgery the last Monday of this month, June 27th. I appreciate your prayer at that time, and uh, pray for me. And here's the last thing I want to say. And I, uh, after I hung up from the doctor, and I got that call at 505, and he uses those two wonderful words no man wants to hear, prostate cancer. Uh, I, my, my first thought was, you know, when I woke up this morning, God was good, God was great, and I was in his hands. Five minutes before that call, that was still true. And guys, five minutes after that call, it was still true. And it's still true today. Uh, I don't think he's done with me yet. And uh, he's still good, and he's still great, and I'm still in his hands. That was true, is true, will always be true. So keep praying for me. Pray for my wife, my kids, my family. And all is well. God is in control, and I'm, I'm at peace with that. But I, I, uh, I do need your prayer, and I would appreciate that. So along those lines, let's stand together. We're going to uh, finish with one last song this morning, and it's uh, a song that means a lot to me and one that I want to sing this morning with all my heart and with truth, and I want to encourage you to do the same. The ushers are going to come, and we're going to take the offering right now as well. And uh, I challenge and encourage you to give because you love the Lord. Give as a reflection of your personal relationship with him today. Let's give as we worship and I'll come back. Father, it's you. It's all about you. It's all about loving you, knowing you, being in relationship with you. And so as we know you, God, and, and hold on to you, that we'll experience all of those things of your nature and your character that are so true. Thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us, God, and your love. Thank you for what I know you are doing and will do in and through us as we just simply walk with you in relationship, loving you as best as we can. I'm going to ask you to keep your head bowed and your eyes closed just for a moment. Maybe you're here today and you've not begun your life as a Christ follower. You've not entered into relationship with the Father. I'm going to pray a very simple prayer right here, right now. And again, if, if you're ready and you want to, what needs to happen for you is this realization, I need God. This receiving, I'm going to accept his gift. And then the repentance, Lord, I'm going to give my life. I'm going to surrender to you and follow you. And if that's what you want and you're ready and you know you're here today, you need to begin a personal, intimate relationship with a God who loves you to make these words yours right now. Father God, I do need you. I can't do this on my own. I have failed so many times. I've tried it my own way. And right here, right now, I I acknowledge my need of a Savior. And so God, in this moment, I receive the gift. I don't get why you would do this for me. It just blows my mind. It seems almost too simple, too easy that I just get to receive this free gift. But I need it. I want it. So I receive this gift of grace through faith, this gift of salvation from you. And in this moment right here, I, again, as I acknowledge my need for you, I acknowledge I want to follow you. And so I repent. I will turn from my ways. Help me. God, give me the strength I need to do what I cannot do. 
Fill me with the Spirit of God that will empower me to live for you, to follow you, to turn from my way and to follow your way all the days of my life. And if that's what you want now, just in your own way, say, yeah, God, that's me. That's what I want. That's what I need. And that moment you do, you become his child. And he becomes your daddy, your father, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for mo those making that decision right now. Bless them. Show them what you're going to do, God, what you are doing. I pray in Jesus' name. Listen, if you uh, pray that prayer today, tell somebody. Uh, there's packets of information by the t on the tables as you go out. So it's for new Christians. It's got a Bible, some material gets you started and you walk with God. If you need prayer, prayer team will be up here. Listen, if you need prayer, don't go that way. Come this way. Church isn't over for you yet. It's okay. Let us pray for you. Communion is on both sides of the room. You can have communion today as well. And you can sign up for SOS in the lobby. And uh, at 1030 is the point. So some of you need to hang around, go get some coffee and come back to the point and the training center. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming today. Keep praying. I love you.